YouTube, go live, and we are live. Matt, what's up, dude? What's up, man? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. How are you doing? Really good. Good, yeah. good, uh, good session tonight. Um, good, uh, good dinner beforehand, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me. That's good. So, first thing I want to talk about is something that we kind of just talked about a little bit, but. Uh, you mentioned the new course at Spot, but yep. I was also curious about Spot Roast because that was something you mentioned and I don't know a lot about it. Okay. Um, Spot Roast, we started ooh, 14, 15 years ago. Um, this is the 10th one, which is a big deal for us, but it uh, was put on hiatus from uh, COVID. Actually, it was on hiatus before that for two years, so it might be 15 years now that I think about it. But uh, yeah, this is the 10th annual spot roast. It's the uh, contest that me and uh, the crew here throw in town, and I'm super, super stoked. This is the first year that Skateboard Tampa gets a new course every single year. Mm -hmm. We're so lucky to have. This year, it's actually changed twice already. Wow. So the first time in Skateboard Tampa's history where we got a new course three months ago. It didn't work, so we got a brand new one. <laughs> it just opened Sunday night. Wow. Yeah, it's awesome. That is awesome. And they've always been, I mean, since they opened in 93, they've always been super into BMX, um, super supportive of what we do. So definitely thankful for everything they've, uh, they've given us. Nice. That's really cool. So so who all are you working with to make the spot roast happen? The, the spot roast we've, we have done independently for years. And then in the past, probably six years ago, we did it in collaboration with FLBMX. This one is also going to be. A collaboration with FLBMX. Uh, it might not be that case. We kind of alternate on and off. So this mm. year's year, next year it might just be spot roast by itself. But yeah, this year it's in collab with FLBMX. Nice. I meant like people-wise. Like who's the people helping you do it? Um, it's just locals. It's just whoever. It's most of the friends that I ride with. Um, yeah, we kind of all just get together that day and and do all the the you know, the, the back end stuff. I mean, there's two guys that run FLBMX that will be helping as well. And then I'll, you know, I'll get a judges panel and some head judge as well. So I have to recruit judges for the day that are going to be as objective as possible. And then, um, you know, I need someone to help me mop and, and grab food and all that other jazz. So it's just kind of a, it's almost like a collaborative effort to make it happen. So nice. Yeah. Uh, Shane is actually in the chat right now. The, the one that was writing it spot. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, Shane that was writing it. Shane M. He was. He said, "Just got done riding bikes with Copeland at Spot." <laughs> awesome. What's up, Shane? <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. You're actually on top of the ranch. Awesome to see him. So, last thing about Spot Roast is just like what what does the day look like with Spot Roast? What are you guys doing for the jam or event? So Friday night, um, it's actually this year is going to be a, a two day. Actually, not really done as a two full day event. But uh, Tuesday, excuse me, Friday, we're opening up at two just for practice until six thirty, and then we're doing a uh, a sixteen rider head to head game of bike. Whoa! It should be pretty cool. We're doing it um, like Circle of Balance was. So there's going to be eight riders and eight riders. So there's going to be eight groups total, and then we'll just whittle those away to you know semifinals and then finals and then the actual final go. So that should be a cool deal. Bike actually, game of bike actually makes me really nervous. I've only played once which my buddy Dan DeLorso was giving me, uh, was ribbing me about last night, but uh, it makes me really nervous to play myself, but I know a lot of people like to do it, so we're mm -hmm. gonna do it for 
whoever. I mean, it's going to be more of an advanced skill level thing that we'll start at because there's a lot of like Preston Cawthorns here from New Mexico and you know, this level of riding is insane. So um, that's kind of what we're doing for about an hour and a half. So we'll whittle out of the way. We're going to have two, uh, two groups going at once, uh, just on different parts of the course and alternating. And then 8.15, Lucas Porzio stepping in and doing high air on the outside uh, cement tombstone. So that should be really fun, too. That's Friday night. And then Saturday, we, uh, we're opening up early. Contest starts at 11. And I think it's nine events. It's three street events, and it's six park events. Nice. It's a women's class and then open in both street and park, which is, you know, pro for, uh, we just call it open, so. Gotcha. So you're talking like people are going to have runs and. Yes. Yeah. Both street and park is just going to be two 45 second runs. Best run counts. Awesome. Is there anybody lined up to like document everything? Um, we're going to have DeGroote do a live feed for RBMX. Um, honestly, everyone there is just filming as is. Yeah. So, Kind of just leave it up to whoever. I mean, Spencer Forsman's in town for a while. I'm sure he's going to film it. Good. He's back here for a bit, so I'm sure he'll uh, he'll snag a lot of that stuff. Um, but like, no one like I haven't asked anyone to do it. It's just kind of a collaboration. If anyone wants to do it, by all means. So. Cool. I was just asking to see if I was going to be able to like see everything that happened afterwards. Sure. So I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it'll end up on a, a bunch of different. Cool. That sounds really fun. Sounds like yeah. a good day. A lot of people are coming in. I've got to actually do two airport runs tomorrow, and then I got to uh, meet the keepers. Uh, Shane and Dylan are driving down, so I'm meeting them as well. And then Corey Faust gets in tomorrow. My Cal Laren gets in tomorrow. I got to pick them up. And then, uh, yeah, it should be a really good time. Nice. You mentioned Lucas, and I just want to shout him out for that freaking clip that just got posted on the okay. new setup. The. Uh, um, uh, back tire bonk to Fupanu? Yes, that was was that on his Instagram? I'm sure he posted it. It was. I don't even think that clip justifies how ridiculous that is. Yeah. So that wall ride setup was is that was temporary. That was only at the park for two and a half three months. So that wall, uh, that vertical wall is now a slant wall, which is incredible. It makes it so much more like palatable for everyone. But, uh, yeah, for Lucas to bump jump that in Fufanu, and I think it took him, like, I was there, I probably filmed that clip 25 or 26 times for him before he finally got it, and then, as you can see, kind of dipped down and then kind of yanked it back in. <laughs> yeah, it is incredible. I mean, that is just, the control of that is wild. Love it. I, uh, when we rode with him at, uh, dang it, the guy's name's, his ramp, Alan's ramp, uh, yep. when we rode with Lucas because I don't know as much as I should about the history of things for some things I did not realize how like amazing Lucas is and his like past in BMX yeah it's wild I don't know if you ever he has still done the most intense thing I've ever seen done in Tampa riding street he did the second stage rail that he's posted a couple times I'm glad I wasn't there for it there's no way I could it was too like too nerve-wracking for me but uh second stage rail uh drop on one side and then when he landed he actually had to immediately thread between a cement light pole and a metal electrical box so not only was the rail nuts but the landing was crazy because he had to not you know just like run into this pole or the, or the electrical box pulling it out so but yeah lucas is 
it's so awesome to ride with him, but he, I mean, he'll openly admit this. He has a hard time doing gym stuff. Like he can only like his, his brain only functions big and, and scary. That's so awesome. it's hard to get him out just to ride curbs. Yeah. Well, I mean like the context of the session that we had was like, he was only there for a little bit and he was killing it, but it was like, I've never seen this guy before. He's killing it. He did a gnarly, gnarly foofanoo at Swamp Fest and was less like, this guy's awesome, but I had no idea how awesome. And then to see the jumping pictures and videos that he's shared of, yeah. Shout out to Lucas Porzio. Glad he's in Tampa too. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, I want to talk some more about you. I want to hear about some of your history in riding, like the very first memory that you have of BMX. The very first memory I have is I was riding my brother's mongoose. I think I've actually had this conversation with Scott Town as well, uh, the specific mongoose, and I can't remember the name of it. It was just kind of a hand-me-down bike. My earliest, earliest memory of riding a BMX bike was riding that bike without shoes, I remember that I was going to SeaWorld that day. My parents were going to take me to SeaWorld. And I was pedaling around the neighborhood really early. I don't know why. And this really tiny lap dog started chasing me. It chased me down, down the block. And I'm like, it was kind of fun. It was a rush. So then I did another pass and it chased me again. And then I don't know why. I, I, you know, I did it a third time. But I was pedaling to have this dog chase me again in a car was coming the other direction so the car blocked the dog and then the dog shot out from behind the car and I t-boned the dog oh flipped over my handlebars and I remember my knuckles were completely like you know when you're you like have gouges in your knuckles from falling on the ground and like you're well you've never ridden without shoes I'm glad that was the only time I'd ridden without shoes but like the knuckles on my my toes were completely worn and uh, the dog was fine. It, it ran away. It just, you know, like made a yapping noise and, and ran away. Um, I was pretty screwed up, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> wow. So that's my first memory of riding a BMX bike. Holy cow. What about like seeing, you know, like real BMX? Do you, what's your first memory you have of that? First, interesting. That's, a, that's actually a good question. I think it was in middle school. No, I mean, it was definitely rad. Rad, for sure. Absolutely rad. Um, mm. We got a Freestyle 101 book when I was in elementary school that we were, like, ogling over. It was so cool. But, like, the, the first time I saw, like, what I think is, like, progressive freestyle riding was actually at a assembly, like, assembly in middle school, um, right before I started riding. And there were, I don't know why, but it was Hoffman riding a quarter pipe. At your school? Not at my school. It was oh. a video. Sorry, my, my apologies. It was, it was a video that we were watching at this pep rally, and it was like all this extreme stuff at the time. I mean, this is in the '80s, and then uh, and then there were images of Matt Hoffman riding this, you know, whatever, eight foot, ten foot tall, you know, eight foot wide quarter pipe, just doing wild stuff. And I remember that being like, "Wow, that's incredible." So that was probably it. So. And then you started riding shortly after that. Yeah, I saw Rad for probably the tenth time on Thanksgiving Day, 1989, and I don't know if this is this happened to you, um, but it was like the day that I said I am going to ride BMX. And today is the day I start riding BMX. Huh. So, and then and that was over the year 30. What is that? 32 years? 33 years now? Crazy. 
that. That's pretty cool, though. So, so that was your brother's mongoose that you hit the dog on. And then I'm imagining you had some kind of a bicycle at that point, too, or you got a bicycle. But what was, like, the first, like, you know, you riding now, you got to get a BMX bike. What was that? I got a Kent, a Kent from Ames Department Store. And I don't, I can't, it's just, like, one of those brands you find at Walmart, I guess, at the time. I'm sure they're not around anymore, but um, it was a green Kent with like white mags, and uh, that was my first BMX bike where where I was like a BMXer. Painted mm. a camouflage. <laughs> I nice. Camouflage. And I remember pedaling that to school, uh, and then soon after I bought a GT Performer. Uh, remember it was two hundred ninety nine dollars. I bought it on my birthday, and then rode that for a bit. Rode flat, and then I traded that which was an awesome bike for a Diamondback race bike because it looked to me like an S&M. So that's, so I was like, oh, I'll get that. And then, um, and then soon after was when I kind of found the crew that I still ride with actually, but we were, there was kind of like two groups of riders in Tampa. You were either on team Hoffman or team S&M. And because we were all the punk kids, we all rode S&Ms. Like my whole younger crew rode S&Ms and all the older Flatland riders who were like four or five years older than us all rode Hoffmans. Um, But yeah, I traded that Diamondback, I think, for an S&M Mad Dog, I believe, which was Moeller's bike. Mm -hmm. And then uh, then soon after I got a dirt bike and then I just kept buying dirt bikes until I bought a um, uh, a menstrual cycle, uh, Keith Trainer's frame. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think after probably 10 years, all I rode were S&Ms. That is really cool. So when you first started, like, obviously people have the, I was, you know, hitting curbs and stuff, but what was there to really ride when you were starting to get into freestyle, like, heavily? So, I mean, we, I mean, we literally rode curbs. We would dig ruts in, like, little ditches and, you know, have flyouts and stuff, and then we would build them bigger and bigger. And then finally we, we actually had some – there were a couple of hills in Tampa, which is really weird because Tampa, I mean, as you know, it's flat. Right. Florida's really flat. So there were two hills in particular that we just dug lips into that we had built flyouts out of. Um, and there was this dude that had a mini ramp over uh, near my buddy Dan's house that we went to ride. That was kind of our first experiences riding a mini ramp. So this is probably 1991. Okay. And 1991 was actually the year that Brian Schaefer, who owns Skate Park in Tampa, unofficially opened the Skate Park in Tampa. It was oh. in 91. So it used to be over in um, right near Tampa Stadium. It was just a warehouse where they had a vert ramp because all those older skater dudes from here rode vert. And they had a mini ramp behind it. And I remember our, our parents would take us up on Saturday nights and Brian would allow us to ride for three bucks. And we would just carve the ramp and then carve the mini ramp. And that was from like 91 to 93. In between that, we would just build dirt jumps. Everything was carpeted too. We'd have to build like sand jumps and then carpet them. So yeah. those dirt. Then we got in the street in like 92 and rode. We had some really good ledges here that we rode that were really fun. And then Skate Park of Tampa opened up in 93. And then that was that was just our home park. So And it's still like where we all go to get together. So. That is some pretty amazing history. How old would you have been in 91 when you first got to ride that? Uh... 91, I would have been 13, 14. Yeah, I was 14. 
Dude, what a unique scenario of being 14 years old and the guy's, like, he's unofficially starting the skate park of Tampa in the warehouse when you're 13 or 14, you're 14, and you've had it all the way until present since then. It's pretty incredible. So, wow. I'm Schaefer for that because he is, he's, yeah, thank you to him so much. It was really cool that because Brian is, Brian's probably six years older than us. So, you know, if I do the math on that, 14, he was what, 20, he was 20 at the time? Yeah. So he was like top tier am Burt skater as well. And uh, he rode with a, he skated with a bunch of other like pro skaters at the time. So it was really cool that those dudes, there was no ego. It was just like, cool, these younger kids want to ride their bikes in these ramps, whatever. Just give us a couple bucks and, and you can cruise. I, I, you know, I don't think we ever filled out a waiver. It was just like, come ride this, whatever. I mean, it was a huge vert ramp, like a 12 foot tall vert ramp. So, uh, and it was kind of far from home too, like in a neighborhood that we weren't used to. So it was a big deal. Every Saturday night we go out there. So, huh. Did and you then have... years later, that was 91. And then in 93, they moved that vert ramp to where it's at now. So it's been in the same location since 93. Uh, again, I just rode there tonight. It was awesome. But the vert ramp used to be in the center of the skate park and they had a, uh, a street course kind of built around the vert ramp. So Gotcha. It was also where all the shows were early on too, which was really rad. So like we would um, we would ride there, but also go to all the punk shows there as well. So it was like this cultural kind of like cauldron of like cool stuff going on. So, dude, I mean that's in its essence that is you BMX punk yeah. shows, you know. So it's it's like you had it from the point where you were 14 and you're still living it today. That is amazing. Something to definitely, like, the fact that I have Rays, you know, it's, it's a similar thing of just never taking that amazing situation for granted, ever. Absolutely great. Don't share the spot, absolutely not. We have so many uh, outdoor cement parks to ride down. Now there's five or six backyard ramps in Tampa right now. There's so much stuff to ride and it's rad that that indoor park is still open and thriving for, for what they do and it's got the support. So it's really awesome. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Pope just gave me a really good reminder of something I asked you about. I just wrote with Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote with him now. Brett's in here too. Brett Roffling. That is awesome. I just yeah. that on Saturday. Uh, the, the whole uh, band thing, how long had you been riding and going to these shows before you actually got into a band? Oh, um, 95 was the beginning of the first band I was in, so 95 to 2000. And then, so it was five and a half years before yeah. I actually got into, you know, into a band. I don't play an instrument, but I was in a band at that point. And then there was a little hiatus after I graduated from college. And then 2003, I started another band. Well, I didn't start it. I joined another band, and then 2010 was when that band, you know, uh, called it quits as well. So, um, yeah, it was 95 to 2000. That was kind of a, it was a really, really awesome point in my life. It's where I, when I met my wife, um, I was finishing school. Um, I didn't plan on getting into the BMX industry. I didn't even think I was going to ride after 2000. You know, uh, we were actually touring in Europe in 2000, and I, I'm, I don't know if you remember it, but like. That was the year 2000. It was a big deal. Like everyone was super paranoid on what uh -huh. happened. Like the whole grid system was supposed to shut. Was supposed to shut down. And we were in Europe, like playing amazing shows. We we're having such a good time. But like coming back to that anxiety was it. It almost put a dimmer on that summer for us. 
And then uh, I was really missing riding at the time too because that last tour we did was six weeks in Europe and six weeks in the States. So it was three months that I didn't ride a bike. Whoa. Um, that was really, really difficult to do. So I can only imagine. And so sounds like the band kind of was a big deal if you're touring in Europe. It was really, really awesome. The The group that I was in, uh, the the my friends who were in the band who were really, really awesome to be with. It was just, it was just a lot. It was so much traveling. I mean, I would like, I would, you know, I was in school full time and then every summer was spent. All we did was play shows all summer. You know, like one summer we played 45 shows straight. Jeez. And it's really, really hard to do that. <laughs> no doubt. I can only imagine. Did you guys ever play at Spot? Um, we, did we play at Spot actually now that I think about it? No, actually, I don't think we did. That's some irony. It, um, there were so many, at that point, like between 95 and 2000, there were so many different venues to play at that, um, yeah, Spot was just never on the radar. They, they kind of like slowed down their shows at that point and then they started again in like 2003. Mm-hmm. Like Spot from 95 to 90, sorry, 93 to 98 there were some like really big deal shows that happened there like really really big deal shows for for punk bands i mean yeah um but yeah about probably about 97 plenty of like other venues popped up that we were playing instead so huh that's so ironic that like the whole your whole life existed in this place and then you got into a band and then never played there yeah i mean i still went to shows there so it's funny i never thought of it that way actually there was this really good noise band called anna's the bastard who uh was from san francisco that played um, super big deal for them to come like to Tampa to play shows um, because it was hard to get bands to come down but the point of the story is there was a hip at the skate park in Tampa and I have the best memories of them literally playing on top of this hip <sighs> it was their stage it was so good so good I think that just talking about BMX skate parks and a show is something that there's a lot of people around the world in the US who can't even begin to to relate to that because like I was lucky enough too that growing up the local indoor skate park had a perfect center like raised area that you had to take stairs to get to where you couldn't have any ramps or anything that they would have shows on so Friday nights you'd pay a little bit extra and you'd be riding and there'd be live music playing while you were riding yeah and it's it sounds like it's you know similar thing at spot where you have the the situation of music and BMX going together at the same time and it's it's kind of like a special thing that probably not a lot of places got to experience. Yeah, I, yeah, I would say, yeah, we're pretty lucky. <laughs> we're real lucky. It's just kind of cool, huh? So in your time riding and all of that, did. Did you ever have any type of, or did you ever represent any companies or have any type of sponsorship or anything like that? Uh, there was a clothing company called Schoolhouse um, out of Orlando that was kind of the first hookup. It was like a clothing sponsor. This is 95. And then it turned into SH. Schoolhouse was SH, so it just was spelled out phonetically SH. Sab Soroka did that company, so we, uh, just continued on with his clothing line through that, and then that that eventually just withered out. But um, before that, honestly, it was just 
ESPN, and that kind of led into Profile in 1998. So I've been with Profile um, since 1998. So 98, what's the math on that? I don't even know. Long time. <laughs> uh, what is that? Five, 25 years? 25 years. Um, I was just asking because it sounds like you took the band stuff really serious. So I wondered if there was any kind of overlap between having to, you know, have sponsorship duties writing for a company and then also do the band stuff. No, I mean, then Jeff Harrington was the uh, was the TM for Profile at that point, and we would just kind of catch up when I got back from tour. We would we would do things kind of intermittently, like we went to all those CFDs at that point, mm-hmm. and uh, we did a bunch of different road trips. So we just kind of fit it in. Looking back, like it, it's anxiety producing to think about it because it was nonstop for me. I mean, it's pretty nonstop now for me as well. Yeah. Uh, then it was just like, yeah, school, band, um, uh, tour with the band, BMX road trip. It was just like nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. So awesome, don't get me wrong, I don't take it for granted, but it was a lot to fit in. So and then my wife and I were together at the time too, so it was it was, you know, balancing a relationship as well and my family, so Yeah. That yeah, it's an interesting thing to hear about, just learning about the history of that. So so you got involved with profile in ninety eight and that was as a writer? A writer, yeah, ninety eight. And then how long did it take you before you started fully working there 2001 September 1st 2001 is when I started fishing there and I actually went to I tried to get into grad school for English my wife went and got she got into grad school at UF for English and then I was trying to do the same and I just couldn't do well on the entrance exams so which was really really frustrating for me so um I was kind of panicking. I worked at a skate park at the time, um, Central Skate Park here in town, and um, I actually get a job at the Hartford, believe it or not, like in the insurance company, because I was like desperate for like a real job. It was this weird point in my life where I'm like, I gotta do something serious. So um, I went in, um, did that interview for the Hartford, and then the same day I went and had an interview with Jim. Yeah. And I didn't think of it like it's just, you know, I was just thinking, oh, it's just going to be another like whatever, like low paying gig to uh, to uh, as a backup, essentially. And um, and I got hired by both the Hartford and Pope the same day. So I had to make the choice whether to like wear a tie yeah. <laughs> or go to work selling bike parts. And I'm like, you know what? I'll milk this for a little longer. And, and sure enough, here we are 21 years later. That's what I'm doing. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah. So that first job was what was the first job? Um, job at Profile, you mean? Yeah. I was just brought in kind of as a as a salesperson to take over. So Jeff Harrington was the sales uh, manager and the team manager, which I am now as well. And he was leaving. He was planning to go work for uh, Last Call Distribution at FBM. So that was six months after I started. So basically, I came in, and in six months, I had to basically fill his shoes in six months, which was super overwhelming. No doubt. I, experience any of this stuff you know I'm like I I don't sell bike parts like I I, I feel uncomfortable doing that um, so um, yeah that's six months later that's where I was at and then it was one of those deals where I'm like you know I'm gonna stick with this for a little bit and see where it goes and then stick with it and stick with it and then here I am again I'm still yeah. years later dude was there any kind of like any kind of voices in your head telling you to go work for the Hartford and consideration for it at all or was it just no no for real like I didn't I didn't think no no I, the, the pay obviously was a lot higher but I was like I'm gonna have fun I'm gonna enjoy what I'm doing and 
it worked out. Thankfully, I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't go. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Huge bummer. <laughs> so. Dude, life would be completely different. <laughs> so. Well, I'm glad that you made the choice that you did. Thanks. That's pretty wild to to think about all of that. And then uh, somebody had a really good question in here. Is Jacob Fosses said, "What was your first profile part?" Ooh, that's a good question. Um, it was SS Cranks in one eighty with a forty four tooth blackjack sprocket. Nice. And my bike at that point, I had front and back brakes. I had four pegs, and my bike weighed forty five pounds. And thinking about that now, it makes me. It makes me anxious. <laughs> no kidding with that bike. So great. <laughs> with carbon ribs. I weighed my current bike the other day and it was it was right at twenty pounds and I was so upset. I'm like, man, I wanted to break twenty off this. But uh but yeah, it was a forty five pound bike with that huge blackjack sprocket and those one and one eighty SS cranks. Like what an overkill. So ridiculous. Isn't that wild to think about? Like freestyle with super long cranks? Yeah, it's crazy. And also, it's just not like that. I mean, I think Scott talked talked about it as well with that first bike that he had. It was what he said, fifty five pounds. Like I'm surprised it was still intact. I feel like a bike bikes broke so much easier then because they were just overbuilt and mm. too rigid, you know. So you would always break parts. And it's like I have this lighter bike now, and knock on wood, but like it's it lasts me longer. Yeah. Good. So. Yeah. That. It is pretty insane to think that your current bike is less than half the weight of the bike we're talking about. Crazy. And the one I'm building now is going to be even lighter than that. I mean, I'm still, you know, not at the 17-pound range, which I would be stoked on, but uh, whatever. Point at 20 is good. Holy cow. So you're building a new bike then? I am, yeah. Uh, I actually just got it two weeks ago. Alex Leepak actually built it for me. I was literally – hold on. Do I have it written down? Uh, I didn't write it down, but I had the question of – how long before you're on an Alex bike? And it's funny, I just rode with him too. So I just rode with Shane, Alex, and Jordan Pope all the park. That's so <laughs> sick. A few weeks ago, and uh, honestly, it's incredible. It is, it is truly like a piece of art. And he'll, he's he's so modest and humble about what he does. Well, you know, met Alex. You know Alex. He's yeah. Such, like he's so good at everything. He's an amazing rider. He's an amazing human. And then for him to like give me that bike. It, it, it was almost emotional. I'm like, man, this is like a really special thing we did. So uh, we're building that right now. Crandall and I and Rob Delecki are actually getting ready to do a pretty long, wild ride in South Florida around Lake Okeechobee. Mm-hmm. I'm building that bike to go on that ride. So Yeah, that's on my list of stuff to talk about too. So I'm going to try and remember to talk about that right after. But I want to keep talking about this bike. Because for people who don't know who Alex Lipak is, this dude told me the story whenever I met him about not Danny Laws, not Danny Laws. I know where your brain's at. No, he told me the story of the million dollar weld that he was a part of doing. Like, I, I don't know the story. Well, he just talked about how it was this enormous pipe or whatever it is. And he had to fill, you know, a gap that was two an inch two inches or more something crazy with a weld and then it had to be inspected so that it had the same structural integrity as the pipe that he was connecting with them and it was like a million dollar weld or something like that so when you talk about 
this frame being special like there's a reason that it's even like more on top of the friendship aspect of it being special i did not know that story makes sense though i mean he's done some pretty amazing things and also you've heard his stories his story going on a road trip with him so entertaining it's just hours of great stories if i don't get to hear a danny laws story this year i'm going to be sad because that was just the best yeah. so you're building an alex the pack frame yep. how, how any other radical changes from what we did with your bike check no it's the exact same bike it's just double butted tubing it's a lot lighter it's 4.1 pounds which Ooh. is pretty pretty wild um and then uh i mentioned to you too we're doing uh we're we're not producing this but we uh we made one just because it's ridiculous but we made a plastic hub that i actually built up termite our wheel builder built it on a uh, a duroc a sun duroc rim which is uh, a mountain bike rim that they make for like 20 inch mountain bike wheels so it's a, a 28 hole duroc rim that's actually that's my cat sorry he's oh you're okay um hi cat it, um, yeah, so it's on a Duroc rim, and uh, I tested it out Monday. I went on like a five-mile bike ride, and I couldn't believe how well it worked. It was crazy. Like, it, it spun so well. Um, Bind it, we're not producing these, and I probably won't ride it long. I'm just doing it on that trip just to do it, just to ride 110 miles in a plastic hub. Yeah, so, we're talking about, you know, not doing 360s and yeah, we're talking about a ride here going to be pedaling the straight for 110 miles so is this a front hub yeah. i assume it's a front hub yeah it's just a front hub uh the rear hub we we tried out but the ratchet ring just spun right in it because it's it's plastic obviously we'll spin through. But, uh, i think the plastic hub will be fine for 110 miles it's cool looking it's like it's made out of delrin it's this bluish colored delrin so it actually kind of looks that's well, a really cool color actually um, and then with that frame, I'm trying to get the whole bike at about 18 pounds. And then we did like specific tie bolts for it. Uh, I ride a, um, an aluminum driver on that. Um, I've got these country bars that I swear by that I've been riding for like 12 years that I got from my buddy in Germany. Um, so it's the, it's the same stuff that I have on my current bike. It's just some of the parts are a lot lighter. So that's mm -hmm. all. except that obviously the plastic hub and it being a lead pack frame. So, right. LPK, sorry, it's an LPK frame. LPK, got it. Shout out to Alex. I'm stoked to see that he's because because when we were there, he was he built his frame and he was stoked on his stuff, but he wasn't really sure about doing more. And to hear that he's given it that name and he's doing more of them, I love it. Yeah, it's awesome. He just built Dan Delorso frame too, one of our really close friends. Uh, just finished his frame this week. Dan got it, so he's gonna have that built up. Um, yeah, so just making making customs for the crew. It's really awesome. Oh, I love it. Uh, that front hub was that made the same way as the other hubs, like machined. Exactly the same. Yeah, it's just I'm sure there was probably a speed difference on making it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's made exactly the same. It is a mini hub, so I'll. Mm. I check on it next week when it's full. So, uh, but yeah, pretty excited about it. So, I'm, yeah, I'm really stoked to see that. Only, uh, only concern is that part of this trip is going to be on a gravel road. That's my only concern. <laughs> so it, it is going to be a little bumpy on sections of it. So we'll see how it holds up. Yeah, let's talk about this ride. So it's 110 miles around Lake Ob Okeechobee. Okay, yep, 10th largest lake in the U.S. 
with Crandall. Yes. Are you guys doing it in a couple days? How's this working? This one we're going to do in two just so we can thoroughly enjoy it. I'm I'm obsessed with this bird called a crested caracara. Mm-hmm. It's indigenous to Central and South America, but also, oddly enough, just Lake Okeechobee. Really bizarre. Hmm. It's a, it's a raptor. Um, it is in the vulture family, but it looks like it, it, it's a mix between it. Visually, it looks a mix between a hawk and a toucan with a toupee. <laughs> I'm looking this thing up. Crested caracara. Yep, it's a crested caracara, um, but its range is only in Florida around Lake Okeechobee. What a cool-looking bird. So I'm really, really into this bird. I have only seen one. Uh, I saw it last year. Sorry, I've only seen one in the wild. I've seen them in captivity. But um, I'm hoping, like, my goal is to see as many of these birds as possible on Lake Okeechobee. But the more important thing is we're doing it as a, as a ride for RadShare just to get some some stoke behind RadShare and hopefully raise some cash for, you know, events that he's putting on for this year and for bikes and helmets that he'll be giving out. So Nice. Yeah, that's really cool, man. It's like a, it's a bird watching <laughs> fundraising expedition. Yeah, I'm really into birds. <laughs> that's another thing on my list. I'll be honest, not necessarily birds, but just wildlife in general. I saw immediately that you have a serious like something towards just knowledge about wildlife. Florida is an awesome place to experience that. Like, it's funny because we were at the skate park riding last night and uh, we were talking about gopher tortoises. I'm not sure if you're familiar with a gopher tortoise. Mm -hmm. Also, an, an indigenous indigenous uh, tortoise to Florida. I think it might be in, in the south as well, but it is basically like it is an incredibly important part of the ecosystem because it burrows into the ground. Mm -hmm. So when prescribed burns or like when lightning strikes and there's a forest fire, all the creatures in the forest that can fit go into the gopher tortoise. Uh -huh. So it's illegal to hold them. It's illegal to capture them. It's illegal to touch them. So, um, but I, I was riding street one day, funny anecdotal story. I was riding street one day and in downtown, there was one in a park. So when you see them, it's like, it's a big deal. I mean, you, they're, they're pretty, they're not rare, but when you see them, you can't be around them at all. And there was this gopher tortoise walking across this park and this family walked up and picked it up and were going to throw it in the lake because they thought it was a turtle. Oh, so no. No, do not do that. So I actually had to physically take the tortoise from them and like move it into the bushes. And I'm like, man, there's no cop around here. I don't get in trouble for this. Like saving this tortoise. Dude, yeah. I mean, what kind of trouble can you get in? Um, it, I mean, it's a federal offense. So wow. I, I'd have to look up the fine. I'm, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. But you could get in some serious trouble for that. Sure, you can get out of it because it's an animal, but technically, it's it's you know it's a, it's a heavy offense. Yeah, uh, we were riding that park last night talking about gopher tortoises, and the reason it came up is because the street plaza we ride there are a bunch of ospreys that live above the skate park, mm -hmm. and there's a family of bald eagles there, and they're constantly fighting. So we show up to the park, and there's like a battle royale <laughs> above the skate park. It's hilarious. So, Whoa! Yeah, <laughs> we got ospreys up here. Dude. Yeah, birds. Uh, dude, birds just said birds. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. So, where does this passion for animals 
come from? Is it something from when you were a kid or what? Um, yeah, I've kind of always had an affinity towards animals in general. Like I, I went went vegetarian really early on because of my, you know, like compassion for, you know, animal, I don't know what the word would be, just like, just compassion for animals, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I'm just really interested in, Florida's just got a lot of really cool animals, like a lot of really cool, unique animals. I mean, we have manatees. Yeah. Manatees, you know, Florida has the manatee population. Uh, we've got crocodiles down here, which is incredible. Um, one thing I still have never seen, my wife and I go down to South Florida every year, and that's like my bucket list, and I still have not seen a Florida croc. Um, Lee Pack has seen a bunch, because he was working at a, uh, a nuclear power plant down in South Florida, and the estuary that is right off the nuclear power plant is where basically a huge population of crocs live. So Alex has seen them. I haven't. But um, yeah, just really in animals. I don't know. Just always been kind of in the wildlife, so... That's just cool. I mean, I, growing up, I'm the, the same, similar anyways, where like we have land where we go and stay in the camper for the weekend. And as soon as we get there, I'm going to the different spots where I know I can find a snake and I'm finding the snake and, you know, whatever, go and find salamanders in the woods and whatever I can find. I got my book that shows all of the North American reptiles and I find what it is and learn about it and its range and, and all of that stuff. And it's just... I don't know. Something about them. I get it. I really, snakes are really Like I, I love like being able to see snakes in nature. Um, black, I mean, we have a ton of um, indigo snakes down here, like small indigo snakes, which are really cool. And then I've seen one giant eastern indigo snake, which is, um, anyways, I don't want to bore you. <laughs> oh, you're not boring me. And I, no. <laughs> yeah, animals. I love animals. I love like seeing them. I love gators. Like every time I see a gator, it's like seeing a gator for the first time. I'm like, freak out and get so excited so yeah that... and they're everywhere i mean there's a there's a manatee hole um which is a spring where the manatees hang out um probably a quarter mile from our house and then we're right next to the river so i'm always seeing gators on the river too and it's like again like a kid seeing a gator for the first time mm-hmm. so. what about the uh skunk ape uh <laughs> ask alex lee pack about the skunk ape is it Danny Veloz? Is that his he the skunk ape? <laughs> He's got some good, good skunk ape theories. Oh, that is so funny. Oh, man. Yeah, the, uh, I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole, but the, uh, the snake situation is crazy in Florida with all the, the, what is the word? Uh, the, uh, the pythons. Yeah, what's the word for that? Invasive. Species. Oh, the invasive. Yeah, it's, it's bad news down there. And they're really, really difficult to catch. And yep. they do a really good job of hiding from humans. And they've decimated the mammal population in the Everglades. I mean, there's like deer gone, all the opossums, all the raccoons, and maybe everything. So it's it's definitely a bummer. So I still have not seen one. I mean, it's really hard to find one, which is a bummer because there's millions of them in the Everglades. You mm-hmm. just can't, can't catch them. It's crazy. Yeah, that's an unfortunate situation that I hope there's some way to work that out because it would be nice if they could get something done about it. Anyways, back to BMX. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I guess we could talk about some of the profile stuff that I, I was curious about here because I feel like there are probably some implications of profile being made in the u.s that would just be interested interesting to hear about like like through your years of being there is there anything that you've 
noticed or heard because obviously you're doing profile you're not necessarily having a lot of stuff made overseas but like any advantages to stuff being made here um well the prototyping is a lot easier for sure you can get the prototyping process yeah quicker um we we have the ability i mean with our machinist there we have uh trying to think of the, the thing that we built um, we actually just made adapter washers for my new bike, actually. Um, we're making, so it's a volcano cone. I don't know if you're familiar with a volcano cone. Mm-hmm. Stand on our bolts, but we made it as a 14 mil adapter now as well. Oh, that's cool. Literally, it was made in a day. We didn't need to prototype those. It was just when the machine was open, get it done. Because mm-hmm. we had a couple uh, shops that needed those. So it was really cool to see that idea get put into effect and produced in an eight-hour day. That was really so um, um, back to the question though, like as far as like the advantages, I mean, prototyping obviously is better. The con- the product control, like one thing that really helps us as well is that we buy, and I think I don't know if the first time you toured Profile, shoot, what was it ten years ago? Dude, 2016. Okay, so maybe not ten years ago, but close. I don't know if I took you outside to our uh, materials area, but I remember a garage door and then a lot of long whatever stock yep so i did show you that so basically when the material comes in we it was all happenstance too because the alley family moved to tampa new jersey we're near the port of tampa so material is really easy to get so we only get material that we need so when the material comes in we're not stocking a ton of material we just need exactly what we need for that week and then it goes in the machines and gets produced so the other good thing about having stuff made in the states is that there is you know there's a lot of product in circulation right now, mm-hmm. um, we are still getting caught up from COVID. So we're able to, we're at a point where we're just producing to get back orders filled. So we're really not sitting on a whole lot of product. It's just basically quick turnover. So yeah. in the States, we don't have a lot of overhead right now. It's literally product material coming in, getting made into product and then going for So that is actually something that I anticipated and was one of my questions was if it was easier to act more quickly on that because you could you guys are so much closer I feel in what you're doing than when you have to plan ahead for so far ahead when you have to worry about you know lead times for the uh, factories over in Taiwan the and uh, you just answered exactly the good news is too with our shops because I my job at Profile other than being team manager is that I handle all our domestic shops and one thing that has been it's it's really funny to say this but like the past post COVID sorry not post COVID what I meant by that was like post like the COVID being the intensity of COVID like coming out of things a year later we're still not out of COVID sorry but like <laughs> past what we were experiencing. It has been a lot less stressful for me because shops understand that delay now. Mm-hmm. So instead of me pulling out my hair trying to get stuff sent out today, 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 they understand that it's going to take a couple days because nothing is built a profile. We have to hand build everything. So like today, I built a, an order for Powers, uh, for Chad Powers. I built an order for Albies today, and I built an order for Circuit. And I've, though the three of those shop owners are my friends they also understand that i physically with john our builder and gus our other builder we physically have to build this stuff together and it is not quick it is a time-consuming process to do so um 
the stress is definitely going down because it's accepted that, all right, this is going to take a while. We'll get it when it, when it gets here. So thanks to all them for being patient. So yeah, it's your question. Sorry. It was kind of a roundabout way to get there. It did. No, it definitely did. Um, when you refer to building, are you referring to taking from a hub shell, putting bearings and axles and everything together? Yeah, exactly. And that's just a hub, you know, with our cranks, our cranks have a process too. You know, there's 14 different processes that go into a crank before it gets into my hands. And then I have to hand broach it, which is sending this uh, metal rod with teeth through the, uh, through the, the spindle boss. So it cleans threads out, which it's really, really hurtful in your, um, your AC joint and your uh, rotator cuff. So uh, there's only a couple of us in the shop that can do it because it's really, really um, so we have to hand broach it, then we have to clean the cranks, and we box them, and, and then ship them. So even like when it comes back into the shop, there's still a bunch of processes that we have to do to get it ready to go. So. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and you mentioned the supply of material being you guys don't get excess of things; you only get what you need. Is it? Is it that? Do you feel like it's more readily available here than it might be? I don't know because I don't handle that part of production. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I don't handle the back end with ordering, but it hasn't been Jim too, the owner, Jim Alley, the owner of Profile Two. He's been in the business for not not just the cycling business, but he's been in the car. I mean, Profile Racing is actually Profile Racing, not because of bikes. It's a race car company, right? Like, it's race car parts for oval track cars, and he's had so many contacts over the years with people who have material. So he's always getting material from someone. So we're, we're good. We're good on material. Sure. Even during COVID, we, um, I mean, during the height of COVID, we, we still were able to get material because he had the contacts. So. That's awesome. That's, that's really good to hear. There's also an aspect that I thought of, of the helping local businesses side of things. Yeah, we outsource to more now. We probably outsource to 35 local companies in Canada. And what I mean by that is that we... We have to get nickel plating, we have to get anodizing, we have to get powder coating, we have to get black oxiding, we have to get um, chroming, that's all done, except chrome. Chrome is done um, at a hot rod shop up in the, um, it's in like northern Georgia, but mm -hmm. everything else is done locally, so all the other small processes are done in Tampa Bay. So, and Jim, the owner, is the he's the guy that's out in the truck picking it all up, it's kind of crazy. He comes in, it's like a special delivery today, we got a... Um, Got cranks back today from the powder coater, and he delivered uh, uh, sprockets, matte black sprockets from the uh, local anodizer. So nice. Pretty... That is super cool to see that he's still that involved. Yeah, very much so. And he's he's he the first three processes of our cranks, are all done by Jim. Huh. By himself. That's what he does. When I saw that video showing the process. I was like, oh, that's really cool that he's showing this process. I had no idea he's the one doing it all the time. And that is no, like, no exaggeration. That is him doing it. <laughs> huh. yeah. Too cool. So speaking of doing this stuff still, I remember when we were there, you were talking about a couple that has been welding there. Yep. Are they still there? Mom and hip, they, uh, they are not, actually. They're nephew is now doing the welding for us so it's still within their family but uh yeah they welded for profile for a really really long time i swear you said something like 20 years or something when i was there definitely for sure yeah they just retired within the past like five years so wow. so yeah their uh their nephew's doing all the welding now 
So, and crank production for us, like it's been, it's been slow. Um, yeah, it's been slow because we do have one main welder. So, um, so we're finally getting called up to the crank production now. Gotcha. So basically what we're saying people is that if you bought a set of profile cranks 20 or more years ago, and then you bought a set today, someone from the same family yes did that 100% that's just amazing yeah and it's like wild like what are they... because it's it's their family you know, the, the family that welds and then the alleys which is Jim and his son who are actually so it's two different families definitely over the past 30 years you know touching something on those cranks oh, that's so. amazing so do, do you know if they I'm sure they take pride in their work but do they do they I don't know the right term for what I'm trying to ask, but like, do they realize how special it is that they? I think so. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Jim definitely does. He puts a lot of pride into what he does. And then Tom and him most definitely. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. That's seriously so cool. Um, another thing that I thought about being an advantage of being here is the, the opportunity for, custom colors and one-off projects being made much easier like the uh the hallahan matte green yes it yep. was very quick it seemed like and just low numbers but for them yeah absolutely anodizing is anodizing's actually gotten a little bit easier for us because we've got um we've diversified our anodizers so we do a couple different anodizers now instead of just one like 10 years ago we were just only one anodizer so we have a couple different anodizers now, but with the hubs, they had their, their turnover is about four weeks. So it was awesome because we put that into, into play. I actually grabbed all those hubs. I had to do all the processing of all the macarena hubs. And then uh, and then four weeks later, we had them. We were able to, to, to get them rolling. Yeah. I'm already seeing what I had as a note for later. <laughs> Somebody said, bring <laughs> back Galaxy Rust. Oh, it's, it's coming. Listen. It's just, just hang tight, people. Anthony, and I think Anthony's getting with you on that, right? He messaged me literally two nights ago and was like, I haven't forgot. I, I haven't forgot. Where I ask Matt every single time I talk to him about doing this. And like, dude, I literally forgot myself. <laughs> so I was like, I'm stoked that he's so on top of it that he wants to do what we talked about. And I'm yeah, awesome. He's such a solid human. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, his start was, dude, I'm sorry so much for not following you. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> thank you. That's that's crazy. Hey, speaking of which, huge props to that ice pick the other day on that super mellow quarter. Thank that you. That was seriously amazing. Thank you. Like, shocking. I mean, a lot of the stuff you do shocks me, but like that in particular, I'm like, that is incredible. So props on that. Thank you. That's by far and away the most mellow. It wasn't the shortest I've ever done, but the most mellow sure thanks um so as far as being made in the u.s stuff it, do you think there's any types of challenges that are unique to things being made here specifically other than maybe you know wages because that's an obvious one that it's obviously going to be a little higher yeah um I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I know there are. I just can't think of any offhand. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, I will say this as far as like 
the people that work at Profile, like the crew that we have there, has been there for a long time. So I mean, we're definitely treated well, um, and we're there for the long haul. So that doesn't answer your question, but you know, wage you had brought up. Um, I, I can't think of any. I'd have to. I just sit on that. Let me think about that. Oh, I think it's just going to be a case of that. It's a, probably a small thing because profile. I remember when we toured the place. You guys have just you've been doing it for so long and so well and so successfully that you have all of the machines that make everything. So so it's not like you're sitting on I mean yeah you have a 4 week wait on anodizing but it's not like you're you're waiting on something that's a you know what I'm saying? Oh, Brent, I got you. Okay. Actually, I will. There is something. Chrome. Chrome yeah. is difficult. Chrome right now we are about five or six months out on Chrome. So that's even then. I that's not that's not like because you're in the U.S. Though Chrome's crazy overseas because it's so expensive and hard to do. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, there's environmental environmental issues. Chrome is gonna go away one day. We'll just put it yeah. that way. Oh no, you're absolutely right. It will. Um, we we do go to a dialed Chromer honestly mm. because they're so busy. Maybe it's because it's been kind of whittled down to just a couple people that do it in the States. Yep. So I'm assuming these are conjectures, I have no idea. I don't handle that part, but uh, I know I get calls for it every day, and I have to tell people it's five or six months. But yeah, yeah definitely Spanish, for sure. And, and it's a bummer because Chrome is awesome and it looks great, but Chrome is just terrible for the environment. I've, have you ever thought about, or you guys ever talked about, I've seen there's something that is like a process where you spray something on it and you wipe something. I don't, I don't know specifically, but there's different ways of doing something that looks like Chrome. Yeah. I mean, Dave Briggs, who I'm sure you've seen some of the R videos with, who is Dave is, is one of the smartest people I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's told me about several processes that are alternatives, but they're pricey. Yeah. Cost prohibitive, or there's not a good manufacturer that can do it. But yeah, there's several alternatives, but People want Chrome. Chrome is what people want. It's just that shiny. And I don't ride Chrome for that reason, but I get it. I mean, it's beautiful. It really is beautiful. And it's it's BMX. Like, when you think Chrome, when you think of BMX, when you think of BMX in the 80s, you think of Chrome. Yeah. It, it's going to be a thing of where eventually when Chrome is just whittled down to where only two people in the whole world can do it, they're, yeah. they're going to find the way to do it and it's something will happen either way uh do you feel like there's any other unique opportunities or cool things that come up from being based here in the u.s um that is also a good question um, I'm, I'm trying to stump you here it just makes it just makes things easier for us it makes my life less stressful that there's there's quicker turnovers that there i can I, I'm a people pleaser for sure. So especially when I deal with shops, like I look out for shops because my friends, I have friends that shop in the U.S. I mean, and they are legitimately my friends. It's not like we, we unfortunately do have that business relationship, but like someone like Vic at Circuit, he's one of my friends. You know, I've known Flip at Albies. First time I rode with Albies was at Spot in 1993. Actually. Oh wow! So uh, and Tom and Tina at Empire, and then we have a ton of West Coast shops. Like I'm friends like Foo at Epic. These are friends of mine and. It's, it, it, for me, it's like, I want, 
to make sure that I can get them what they need because I want their shops to be able to provide that for their ecosystems as well. So um, that's probably a roundabout way to answer your question as well. But that's the one problem for me is making sure that we, that we can make as many people stoked and content as possible. And that will always be a problem for sure. So Yeah. It, it's pretty cool though that the cycle, it's literally a cycle of – profile making stuff shops needing stuff you're friends with the people who have the shops shops sell the stuff profile makes stuff shop need it's literally a cycle and it's cool that you can have that relationship and and keep that cycle moving and help with it just and cool really with the shop with the shop situation too like i'm very i i'm very protective of what happens at bike shops as well because that was such an important part of my growing up as well. There were four shops here that did well for us and to have personal friends of mine do that and see scenes thrive because of what they've created, not just selling bike parts at all. It's more of like what they're doing within the community that makes BMX awesome. Like all those shops are doing cool events. Like I was just talking to Glenn at Vans uh, Van the other day in Northern California and just the cool stuff they do uh, for the local scene up near SAC. Like uh, they're in uh, Yuba City, California, but like Glenn is, he's so in touch with all the all the writers there, and he's just always doing jams for them, and it's it's awesome. I mean, you know how it is. It's it's so like it's a community, and I I really want to protect that. And there's those communities everywhere in the U.S. That the bike shops are a part of, and I think that's really important. So yeah, yeah, and it's it's rare. It's getting rarer as time goes on, just with naturally the progression of the way things are, but. I can see why that would be, but you did just mention that you had that as you were coming up. So I want to hear about that. I mean, the shops that we had weren't necessarily BMX shops. Like Steve uh, Caro, a really good friend of mine, has Blacklist here in town. That's a it's a core BMX shop, and there's Janar that's over the over the water. Yep, core BMX shops. But here in town, it wasn't necessarily the core BMX shops. It was the bike shop that had the BMX were working there. Ah, it's like. Like this guy Jim used to work at um, uh, University Bike Center on Fletcher, and that was our go-to shop. Like we would need before we got standard. I don't, I don't know if you remember or ever knew about standard three-eight straight steel axles for hubs. They were like an upgrade that standard made. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've heard about this. Brake axles, and and Jim would be our go-to to get those axles for our bikes because we couldn't ride without them. We brake axles consistently. So, uh, and he was always, you know, that shop wasn't necessarily, again, a BMX shop, but because he worked there, he supported what we did and it made our little community work. We had bikes to ride and we rode together and we perpetuated the Stoke as much as we could. So makes total sense. And then Vic, I mean, Vic at circuit, um, he, Vic lived here from 97 to 90, no, 97 to 2001 was when he moved away. He worked for several shops and open circuit and I'm sure you're aware of circuit being yeah. oh yeah amazing what he and his wife Kara have done up there like they're yeah it's incredible like the scene that they have it's amazing i go in there and it the shop is incredible the scene is incredible and i just have a lot of you know just so awesome i love seeing that stuff so yeah well i mean it's just it's i think it's partially so awesome because these situations almost have to be a perfect storm of things happening around to make this possible like the the bike shop has to be close enough to what people are riding for them to be able to c 
coexist. Like you go into the shop, then you're going to go to the session or you go to the session, then you go to the shop and the right people have to have the bike shop. And, and there's just so many different factors that have to happen and come together to create those situations that it makes them that much more special when they exist. Absolutely. For sure. So. Yeah. So I just, I love hearing that. And, uh, it's, it's cool to see in the world of like, you know, obviously profile sells direct on their site, but also you're doing absolutely everything you can to support the shops at the exact same time. Sure. Absolutely. It's great. So I was also curious and I guarantee this has been answered online before, but just because I don't know profile Europe. Yes. Totally separate thing made over there. What is it? No, it is our European distributor. So you make everything and then it sends, gets sent over or how's that work? Everything here and everything and then it gets sent over. So basically we have given – Jim has given them that name opportunity to exist as our sole distributor. And we have – we actually have multiple distributors, but they are the main one that deals with shops in the UK. And then there's Snap as well, but Profile Europe was has been there for a while. There's also Profile Columbia, which is um, Republic of BMX. So they are – Profile Columbia as well because they're the, the sole distributor in Colombia of profile products. So, and but that separate entity, but they are in collaboration with us. Everything is made in our factory in safety. I mean, ninety-five percent of what we do. I mean, seats obviously we can't make in the states. We right. Velo, but like everything that we make make is in safety, Florida. Yeah, and and just to let people know how in depth you guys are going you're literally making pause <laughs> like we are literally making pause it is so time consuming that is the most expensive part that we make per size like it is so minuscule and it's so expensive to make so. it, and then i i feel like i remember you talking about that with that machine yeah the edm machine it takes it's slow as molasses it just takes forever because it's 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 sending it's a it's a piece of copper wire that goes into the steel plate and it's burning that pole out so oh, when you wow. both off the set hub that was literally burned from a piece of steel that's crazy wow I'm yeah like, that's yeah that's pretty nuts it's like it's like welding to cut holes <laughs> and then you have to bang it out with a with a um you have to get like a this this chisel and then bang them out because they're layered so you layer the pieces together so there's 10 pieces of steel. And then as that wire burns, it's burning 10 instead of one. But then you have to punch them out, and then you have to grind them down. So it's like three different people making that tiny ball that we're set up. Yeah, it makes sense. But that's how in-depth you guys are going. Where uh, where do bearings come from? Bearings are enduro. Um, they are, I'm not sure, Brian. I think they're from Japan. Either way, they're enduro. But they're not, yeah, we don't make our bearings. So. But that's like the only part of the hub, right? Yeah, it would just be the bearings, our mid-bearings as well. I mean, our bearings in general are not made in the States. But that is, is that it for the hub? That is it for the hub. Yeah, just the bearings. I'll give props too, though, because that set of hubs that you guys gave me for the Holly, Mike Hollywood edit that I made in 2012, you're going to like this story. So I rode those hubs for 10, not 10 years eight years or something crazy like that and then they finally got to the point where like all right i'm gonna replace the bearings mm -hmm. 
So I replaced the bearings with just whatever. Like I went to my local shop that I ride for and I was like, I don't know what I need. This is the number, just whatever you think. And we got some random, like they were just the bearings that were there. And I think they're probably like made for a mountain bike or something. And I just went through those in like a year. And after that, I didn't get new bearings. I just took my old ones, took off the seals, cleaned them out, put grease in and put them back in. And that is still what is in those hubs. I hate new bike parts. Like even though I'm building a new bike, it's painful to me to build. There's some older parts on there, but that's one thing for me are the hubs and hub bearings. I like them. I like them, leathered. I like them old and leathered. <laughs> I get it. And like literally the video that came out yesterday on my thing started with showing Jake Borer's front hub. They, yep. I remember when the bike shop that I got my first complete bike from the guy was in there and I went in and he was building that wheel set like 16 years ago Wild. and he's still riding that front hub. Wow. Is that the red mini? Yes. That is crazy. It's still on his bike. It's awesome. Jake's awesome by the way. Really stoked on that dude. Yeah. He's so sick. Tulsa. Tulsa is one of my favorite cities. So yeah. Solid human. And Jake is just, I mean, I grew up riding with him, grew up watching him do some of the craziest stuff and, being dialed at it at that powerful rider such a powerful rider yeah uh shout out to jake but the fact that he's riding that hub and i he didn't say anything about it but i mean i've i know you guys or at least i think i know you guys make a slightly bigger or get a slightly bigger bearing yeah size bearing in case like your flanges get pulled over time which i don't know that that's happened for him which is it's just cool like the fact that that even is a thing. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I've ridden all that. I, I was riding all that older stuff. I have four or five of those SS mini axles. Yeah. Just because they're solid and people have them laying around from when they rode profiles 20 years ago. I was like, I'm getting rid of this super heavy axle. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm like you and I stock up on stuff. So I, like, I get them, get a tap, and just make sure the threads are clean. And it's a backup. Wow. Yeah. Too too good. I love this stuff lasts. It's just I mean, you know. We don't have to we don't have to go crazy about it. Um I'm also curious too though about a, some some stuff outside of BMX, at least directly. Like, are you working on any kind of writing or books or anything right now? Um this ride in Okeechobee will potentially be the the catalyst for a couple stories of both Steve and I have the hopper. We did March of 2021. We rode from Key Largo to Key West, which was for me probably one of the best rides I've ever. Done. Uh, just the conversations, also just the like he and I rode together, and then we we rode together the whole time. But then we would split up, not split up, but we would ride you know 30 feet from each other, and you're just pedaling through the keys and you're experiencing the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic. And it actually got really emotional for me. But point of the story is that is probably going to start this next collection of stories that I write because there were a couple stories that came out of that trip that are really meaningful. So the idea over time, and it's going to be a while is for us to do these bike rides and then for us to tell our own perspectives of the same exact bike ride. Oh, that's so cool. 
it's going to be the Key West ride will start it. We did, uh, I did a ride separate last year. Uh, we did 100 miles in a day. This is all BMX stuff too. We did that 100 mile ride um, January 31st of last year, and then this Okeechobee ride will catch up with the original ride that Steve and I did. But we're going to be doing more of these rides uh, over time. So, and then any of the stories are going to be based on our experiences on those rides. And honestly, it's probably going to have nothing to do with riding. It's going to be what riding has created as almost a form of fear. That makes sense. Like, there were so many cool experiences I had just being on that bike, riding through the keys. It was incredible. So, that's the idea. That's going to be a super cool concept and thing to, for people to read whenever it happens it also makes me very curious what these rides look like i mean you're you're doing a hundred mile bike ride in a day like how did what, what's the logistics of that um the only i mean it's it's hard it's not easy that's for sure and obviously our bikes aren't efficient you know it's super inefficient it's ride. a bmx bike yeah I mean, there's camaraderie involved, like, they're just, like, pushing each other to do it, but I, I can't, like, I was trying to explain it the other day to Rob, actually, Delecky and I were talking about it, because he rides a 28.9, I'm actually going to do Okeechobee on a 25.9, which I've never done that many miles on a 25.9, um, it's almost like a runner's high, is how I've had it explained to me. Makes sense. Like, you get this, you get a certain mileage in, and you just kind of go numb, and like I said, that second day of the key west trip i got really emotional like i teared up and i'm like why am i i it's it's like emotionally happy i was just so happy to be on that ride and uh it's kind of what i'm chasing now like i want that feeling again mm-hmm. that's what i'm hoping to get in Okeechobee. we'll see i definitely got it on the 100 mile ride but i also got a lot of pain because it was and this isn't much for y'all, but it was 50 as a high that day, which isn't, you know, for Florida, that's really cold. Yeah. Pedaled 47 miles into 24 mile an hour winds. Oh, that sounds rough. Seven miles. It was brutal. So my knee, which my knee never bothers me, was hurting me the whole trip. So it was really painful. But I still kind of got that runner's high, but not like I did in Key West. It was just like that experience was super unique. So again, I'm hoping Okeechobee does it for me again. So. Nice. Are you guys, I mean, the Okeechobee one, it would probably be similar. Are you guys stopping for local food on the way? You bring in food? Uh, we'll bring food. I mean, there's really nothing around the lake. There is Okeechobee, which is north of the lake, and then there's a town that's south of it. But, I mean, it is just open space. It's just open space. It's not like the Keys trip. It's definitely not like the Pinellas Crawl that we did last year. This is going to be literally like us in the open with no shade, full sun, like it's going to be brutal we're going to have to take our food with us oh so, wow uh, yeah. we have anybody like following you or anything to make sure it's okay we're, we're setting up cars at the north and the south end of the lake so we'll never be more than 25 miles from a car but Grant and I were talking about the other day it's like well, something happens to my bike and I'm walking 25 miles <laughs> oh my goodness so, so it goes wow on the previous ones did you guys like stop in towns for food or anything cool yeah. like that my wife went with us on that one so she was our uh she was a rescue car on that one so we just uh stayed along the route um the pinellas crawl one was on near profile so basically at, at any point we had an issue there like we were within 40 miles of someone coming to save us you know so that one's not too stressful this one's going to be a little bit more stressful because we are doing it just the three of us with no like no one helping so. yeah 
but it all makes it exciting. I mean, I'm excited for the challenge. So that's gonna be tough, man. I mean, you're, I definitely have faith if you guys have done long, longer rides because you said it's gonna be two days versus you know doing a hundred in one day. This one will enjoy more. We're doing 55 miles a day, and we'll take our time. And it'll, I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's just crazy the time span because between now, like spot roses this weekend huge event that i am going to be spending all my time time on then uh our uk team flies in next week they're here for 10 days i'm doing the okeechobee ride between our uk team getting here and swamp fest so it's like uk dudes in town gonna do a bunch of stuff with them then i leave for two days to ride 110 miles then i come back to jump right back into that with them and then we all go to swamp fest so it's pretty wild you're gonna be recovering at the craziness (laughs) that swamp fest excited Holy cow. Um, What was I going to ask you about? Um, Somebody just asked if there's any video projects or edits coming out in 2023 for profiles. So, I mean, I guess what I was typing there was just to make sure I didn't forget to ask what's going on with profile in 2023 that people should know about. It's our 55th anniversary. Oh. Super big deal for us. Um, We're doing, we're actually working on a 55th anniversary edit. That the deadline is this weekend. Um, I just got clips from a bunch of our crew this week, so I'm going to have to edit that. I probably won't get to the editing process until the end of the month, but we're also doing a bunch of limited product. Like we're going to be re-releasing uh, our high flange hubs in like a, a really beautiful gold, like our hubs from the late 90s. So those are in-house. We just have to build them up, so we'll release those in a couple weeks. But um, as far as video projects go, yeah, the 55th anniversary edit. Um, I'm doing a trip um, in hopefully April to go visit Dave Long, who's a really good friend of teams. Yep. So we can stay with Dave Long and we're going to do a trip there, which will be a video. And then, um, that's kind of it between now and spring. And then summer is when things really kick off. Like I'll be doing trips up North again. Um, there's a new park that's actually opening up two blocks from circuit. So I'm sure I'll end up there at some point. I'm hoping to meet up with Chris Childs to do, uh, you know, some stuff with him. And, uh, but yeah, that's about it for now. There's just so much stuff right now going on event-wise in Florida that I haven't gotten past that 55th anniversary edit because it's a big project. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I love about Profile is that you guys are so established and the stuff is so good that you don't necessarily have to come out with a lot of new stuff. Is there anything, you don't have to say what or give details, but is there anything that you guys have been working on that is totally new or different totally new um no we we're just we kind of kind of go by that we try to go by the steve jobs method where we're just trying to refine what we're already making just to make it better whether it be a material or a machining process that is that is more efficient or whatnot we have nothing big in the works that is that i can mention unfortunately we do have something that we're working on but i, I can't unfortunately talk about it right now because i don't oh, i get it if it's going to come to fruition and I would hate to say it and then it actually not work. Oh, totally get it. But just, I wanted to know if there was anything yeah. in existence. And, and another reason for that too, is because we're still trying to get caught up. I mean, we're still struggling to get caught up on back orders and back orders and back orders. So, yeah, hey, which is a good thing though. It means yeah, yeah. you got orders. So, uh, and it, it's keeping me busy too. So uh, I do not like, I don't like being idle. So I love being like busy. I work, um, I work other, every other week doing editing stuff, like in like shop edit stuff, just like tech videos and whatnot. And then uh, every Friday I work from home and I clock in at five in the morning and I clock out at four. And it's the most 
productive day of the week for me. Like it's so, I love it, man. I get so much, I get twice as much stuff done at the house that I do. <laughs> so. Yep. Working from home is very nice. I was going to ask you too, if you thought you could handle not being nonstop. No, I couldn't. I think it would, when we, when we go on vacation, I have to, I have to busy myself. Like we do the same vacation every year to Key West and I, before I go, I prep. So I do either more like historical readings that are updated to like, <laughs> to make the trip like, like I make it like this historical like adventure for myself. Mm. So when on vacation, I'm up at six o'clock, I'm reading at six o'clock and then I'm out adventuring from eight on for the rest of the day. So no, I can't stop. It's really difficult to stop. So yeah, I I get it, man. And for some people, it's just you your lifestyle is nonstop, or you got to keep moving. And I, you've done so much. It's awesome. I think it's the same for me as well. Like I have to ride five days a week, or it drives me crazy. And that's probably too much. But that's what makes me tick. Yeah, I was I was gonna ask you too if you were working on any personal video projects right now. Yeah, I switched from doing those year edits um, because I did one at 40, 41, 42, and then I just did one at 45 last year. So I think the next one I'm going to do is 48. So that'll give me a lot of time to work on. The last one, I went from 42 to 45. So working on something for three years was really, really fun. So that's what I'm doing now. So I'm almost a year in. So in two years, I'll have a 40. Yeah, and so being 45 now? 45, yes. Being 45 and having ridden since you were 14, 13, maybe earlier than that because of the whole warehouse thing. Uh, Either way, do you still have trick ideas and goals and stuff? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, most definitely. I like set my, my goal a week is one thing. I just want to do one thing new per week. Um, my issue with that though is that I get really, really overly focused on it. So if it's say the weather prevents me from getting there or uh, like we go to Alex's every Thursday to ride and I have an idea there, um, I get really, really fixated on that and it kind of makes me not have fun until I get it, which mm-hmm. is um, last week it worked and it came early, so I enjoyed the rest of the session. So that's the one downfall is like that one thing a week I get really obsessed with. Luckily it happened tonight, so I'm in a really good mood. <laughs> but if it did, I might, you know, I might be reacting a little differently right now. But uh, also a huge shout out to like every Tampa, the Tampa scene right now in BMX is the best it's ever been. Like there are so many awesome riders in town. Positivity is high. The stoke is high. The session tonight was so good. So I just want to thank going back to your question too, like that's a big part of me being motivated is the crew here. It's, it's so awesome to ride with this, the same people who are into the same things and, and motivate each other. So, yeah, that's great. I love to hear that. Um, I got distracted because Alan G said, how's Alex's ribs doing? I'm not sure. But I was like, did Alex hurt himself again? Oh, shoot. Lee Pack. <laughs> yeah. It's funny he asked that because Alex, that happened. Yeah, Alex got wrecked 
on what was it January 7th and then he took like three weeks off so to answer your question he's doing fine he showed up at the park tonight and the first thing he did he dropped in and did this wild pedal pick 270 on this new wall ride didn't even didn't warm up he just did it first try so yeah to answer your question he's fine he's like totally fine it's crazy go Alex love (laughs) it the the scene being the best it's ever been in my perspective I'm sure that's not for everyone but like for me personally like it is so awesome there's a different person to ride with you want to do every day there's a a different spot to ride so that's good I should say so do you do you do anything to try and extend the longevity of riding for you anything specifically I do Um, I work out every other day um, just push-ups and sit-ups I Fitbit that I'm definitely religious about. Uh, I have to get at least 10,000 steps. I try to aim for 15. Uh, it's funny when we were in the Keys. I walked 90,000 steps in the Keys. In how long a period? Three days. It was 40 miles. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so going back to that idea of not stopping, like I walked and I walked and I walked. Um, so I work out every other day. Um, I walk definitely. I try to ride five days a week. And then I also am on a, a pretty like strict vitamin regimen as well. So I do a lot of uh, anti-inflammation vitamins like glucosamine and turmeric. And then uh, I actually, funny enough, well not funny enough, I I have really bad cholesterol just through my, you know, from my family. So I have to take meds for uh, cholesterol as well, unfortunately. But that's just part of my uh, vitamin routine. So yeah, I do all of that. And I think that definitely contributes to maintenance for sure. But I think just staying active is the biggest part. Like I'm always doing something. So, yeah. 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 I would agree with that. It's just, you don't get old until you quit. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to that glucosamine idea too, like Lee packs on glucosamine as well. And it's funny. We both talk about I don't care if it's a placebo. But I, if there's a lapse in taking glucosamine, I definitely feel it. And <laughs> I, it might be, uh, you know, a, a placebo, but whatever. I take glucosamine too. Yeah, everyone should. I you didn't are. know it, but I do. Yeah. <laughs> this, this stuff, uh, no, it's flex mode. The Mike Spinner sent me, sent it to me. For, Actually, I just saw him last weekend too. He was at that USA BMX contest. Good. Yeah, he's awesome. But that's one of the things that I take every day. And just if, if people wonder, I take the the flex mode which is for joint support then the no you know the generic multivitamin that might not be generic it's probably got a lot of good stuff in it also turmeric tum- how do you say it turmeric turmeric and yep. then vitamin d good yeah vitamin d is staples as well i think too like all of the stuff i've been reading lately too has been on inflammation and just we have to do our best to keep inflammation down because we're I mean we're experiencing every day especially riding like it's this build up of inflammation that we've got to get decreased down so because it leads to so much stuff when you get older so you in being totally honest and some people might not want to hear this but the best way I found to reduce inflammation personally is to just avoid sugar yeah (laughs) it sucks to hear it and it sucks because Sugar makes things taste so good, but it just, it's an inflammatory and I can feel it, man. I, I slowed down on it. Obviously 
not I wasn't crazy about slowing down with it to the point of like not eating normal food just because of things but like I avoid the sweets type stuff and the candy and all of that to the point that now whenever I do have something like that if it's not immediately following a riding session if it's any other time my neck it's like I can feel my muscles going like this yeah. You know, people's physiology too. Like everyone's physiology is different, so it's going to affect you differently. Uh, which is also a scary thought because there's no like specific science to like you. There is no specific science to you on what works. So we just have to do the best. Figure it out. Maintain as best we can. But stoked to hear you on supplements. I mean, they're definitely like I swear by them. So. Yeah, and I have to say thank you to Spinner for sending me that stuff. It just it I notice immediately if I forget to take it for a couple of days, I can feel the difference in myself. Sure. That's okay. Yeah, um what else are you taking? Um vitamin B12, uh vitamin D, uh some turmeric. I do uh, omega 3s, but I do a vegan omega 3. That's uh, algae based. Gotcha. And I do vitamin C. I do niacin. Um, and I do this stuff called. Um, it's for my skin, actually. It's for um, for protection from UV radiation as well. I don't. It also might be a placebo. Who knows? But I feel like it definitely helped me. I also completely cover up when I ride. I wear like I always wear a long sleeve shirt. I always wear a bandana around my neck to protect my neck, literally. Yeah. And. Uh, but yeah, just because in Florida you get pruned and you get cooked down here, so you got to cover up. So. Yep. Yeah, that's a scary one and definitely something that you got to pay attention to. I'm terrible at it. I my face, my nose gets sunburned super bad every year because I just I forget. And I've known some people recently who have actually died from melanoma, which is terrifying. Yeah. That's so. Yeah, I lather sunblock on. I mean, it's probably not great to do sunblock, but I mean, that's I'd rather <laughs> rather do that than melanoma. Just the trade-off, right? <laughs> oh man, what else was I gonna ask you about? I can't even. I had all these. Oh, so I mean, you mentioned about reading before you go on vacation and stuff, but I'm curious too because actually, I'm... I read on vacation. That's what I do. <laughs> that is funny. I everybody's got their thing but i mean i've been saying it for a while now you are by far and away the most cultured person that i know how did that happen um definitely from the punk scene most definitely like we um punk got me into literature it got me into writing poetry it got me into being a little bit more socially aware of what's going on got me into like you know personal politics and then um I was going to school for environmental science and I took an English class as an elective and what I was, I've always enjoyed reading, but I was reading some literature, might, might have been Dostoevsky or someone's, uh, who's a, who's a uh, writer from Russia and, uh, and I was like, man, this is really punk. Like this is, this is punk rock. It's just, it was written 70 years ago. This is totally punk rock and I think I just got the connection there and then that's the that's the kind of the path I took, but I, I don't really read fiction. I only read nonfiction. So, um, I read a lot of the New Yorker. I'm actually reading a book right now by Gary Momino on the past, not the past, like the first 10 years, the first 
new century of basically between 2000 to 2010 in Florida history. And it is fascinating. I actually wrote him the other day and he wrote me back in 10 minutes and he was like, it was so moving. He was like, being a writer is one of the loneliest professions you can have. So getting an email from someone saying they appreciate what you do, I can't even express to you in words how much this means to me. It made me tear up. I'm like, oh my God, this is so awesome. That's so, so cool, man. I'm, I'm gonna, how do you, how do, is it Bukowski? The, being a writer? I forget what it was. Oh man, I'm gonna forget about it. I heard a thing read on a podcast that I was like, dude, that is BMX. It describes it perfectly. I mean, it's, I mean, there is, BMX is an art. I mean, there's definitely a tie in there, you know, like working on a trick. It's like, I, sometimes I work on the trick as long as I would be working on some sort of lighting project, you know, like focusing so, on something. I mean, I've tried something for three hours. I've written for three hours. Like there's definitely an art, an art connection there for sure. I mean, besides the punk rock idea, but, um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'm going to end the podcast with this thing that I'll read because dude, it just, it describes it so well, but I don't want to go there yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, when we were hanging out at Alex's house yep. and first when I saw the gigantic grasshoppers and you immediately just were like scientific name, <laughs> like you just said it and I was like, okay he's got it like that and then and then there was some uh doves above us just making their sound <laughs> and he looked at me like morning doves probably a mating pair <laughs> i was like this guy he just like knows it and then as we're sitting there just having conversation and whoever it was that didn't ride came over and and just talking about different areas of the world and food and so many different things it just like left an impression on me that i was i was just so blown away at how much you knew about so many different things appreciate it it was just cool and i just was kind of wondering about like where it came from so that was cool to hear i mean I, it is definitely from reading i mean i read a lot i read an hour a day i make myself read an hour a day if i have to wake up earlier to read i will do that so i've got to read something so but yeah i, I guess that's where it comes from so how do you have time to do all these things you say you work out every other day you what i don't sleep much that's for sure <laughs> how Even much sleep do you get what's that how much sleep do you get um like five six hours that's not enough dude Oh yeah, I know. You know, definitely get eight for sure. But even on weekends, like all you know, like the other night, I went to go see um, uh, City of Cat City of Caterpillar. It was a really really good band from Richmond. I saw them play. I didn't go to bed till midnight, and then I made myself get up at six to read. Side note, actually, Alexi Deslanu just stayed with me back in November, and uh, we he was he was actually here twice in like a month. He's from Paris. But uh, he'd woken up. He's an old, old friend of me and my, my wife's, but an old punk friend, actually, that I didn't know with BMX. I don't know if I told you that story. But uh, he yes. had a spare bedroom, and it was, I, I think I got up at 5 that morning to read. It's like 5.30. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm reading. And he goes, do you enjoy doing that? I go, I do, but also it's 5.30 in the morning. Like, 
sucks being up this early, but I'm going to make myself do it because I have to do this. Mm-hmm. This is something I have to do today. So, but it was, anyways, it was funny. It was funny that I was almost like torturing myself to do it, but it was part of that regimen of the day that I had to do it. So, I, I get it. It's, it's cool to hear this because I'm kind of relating it back to BMX in the same it feels and maybe you'll be able to reflect on this and tell me if it's close or not but it feels somewhat like when you see that spot or you think of that trick and your brain is like I have to do that and you don't know why you have to do it necessarily but your brain is telling you that you have to do it is it similar for things like reading? 100% similar. Like, and I'm also, um, I am a creature of habit. I like doing the same things all the time, at the same time, the same days. I have a very regimented schedule, so that's definitely part of it. But with the trick idea, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's funny you say that because last week, two weeks ago, I was so focused on this move I couldn't get, and I was exhausted, and I wasn't having fun doing it. But I'm like, I have to do this. Like, I don't know why, but I have to do this. I did. Mm-hmm. Bummer, but so it goes. Did you get it? No, no. Uh, I was I was so beat. I mean, I couldn't even do, like, the ending of the trick was actually the easiest part. So I kept getting the hardest part, and I couldn't do the easiest part. And oh. It's not working. And it was so frustrating. But, yeah, you just get fixated on it. And and you look, you know, and it's funny. I texted my, my good friend Dan DeLorso the next day, and I'm like, hey, thanks for filming. I have no idea why I was so obsessed with getting that trick done. So that's how it goes. So. Totally can relate to that, man. I can't even count the amount of times I've spent an entire session, not not just, you know, warm up and then figure out and then go at the time I get to the skate park to the time I leave trying one trick and I don't stop or leave until I get it and then I'm done. Speaking of, how long did it take you to do that Foof to ice to 360 tap to ice to foof the, the around the world. The, so, tw- the twice around. Was it twice around? Yeah. How long did that take? So I had originally wanted to do that years ago. We made a winter lip lords video. I think it was 2015. And I did three. And that was the f- going all the way around once. And I was, it took me forever because I didn't, I hadn't yet put the time. Three, so it start over and then back so three right is that what you mean by three yeah and then five is going around twice twice okay gotcha so i wanted to do five and but i knew that i couldn't or if i did it would take me a whole entire minute because i was just slow at that trick yeah so that was incredible like truly incredible thank you and and i i'd wanted to do five since then and i was in that session and i just decided i was like Right now is the time when I'm going to learn how to do foof, ice, tap, ice, whatever, like do that trick quickly to where I hit and immediately hop. And the reason that it came up was because the early 2000s BMX Instagram posted, I feel like it was DeBusk on a street spine doing a foof, ice, tap, ice, 270 tap back over to the original side and tagged me in it. Because James, who runs that page, knew that if he tagged me in that, I was going to want to do it. <laughs> so I went. Follow to DeBusk, dude. What a hero. Yeah. And so. and so I went to raise that day with the mission to just do 
the same trick. Yep. But then while I figured it out and I, I finally figured it out because I actually focused on doing it quickly where I'm foof, ice tap, ice tap. And it was just like, all right, I'm going to go for four now that I'm getting three. And then secretly I wanted five and I got four and it was just the natural progression of, all right, we're going for five. And there was something about that night that it was the time that it was meant to happen. And it just, everything worked perfectly in that one go. It was, and I might even have commented on this too, but I'm really, really into cadence of tricks and the cadence on that was perfect. It was like, it was like a metronome. You know what I mean? It was so that's why I think it worked. It was, I, I'm going to get posts on Instagram for this, but I'm fully in belief that there's like synchronicities within the universe and things that we might not be aware of that were, are happening that are in sync with each other. And I'm fully in the mindset of like, I did everything that I was supposed to do that day to lead me to that moment. And it was just the stars lining up perfectly for that to happen. And I, I, the crazy part about it is that it like, this is just the facts of it is that I could not possibly ever do that better than that was done in that clip. Thank you. And, and yeah, so it was just one of those moments of like, this is just meant to be, I guess. So did you, did you celebrate and take a couple of days off of riding? You like satiated by that or did you ride the next day? Because that for me would be, even though like I try to ride that many days a week, I think if I were so focused on that and I pulled it, I would probably sell in celebration, take a day off riding. I don't know how to do that, but yeah. <laughs> in the winter for me, <laughs> one sec, sorry. In the winter for me, I live an hour from Ray's. So I already can't ride more than twice, maybe like three times if there's something special going on a week. That is, and you're limited to what you can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I already, I naturally had to take a couple of days off. Yep. But. There's no, I don't know. I've never, I've never had that in me of where I land a trick and then I don't ride because I'm like so satisfied and excited. I will be done for the day after I put an entire session into a trick and I land it, but never like, oh, I did it. All right. I can give myself a couple days off. It's like, okay, I did it. Now what's the next thing we're going to film? I get it. Yeah, uh, that was really really awesome. I really appreciated seeing that as well. And that again, going back to that ice pick <laughs> out of my seat. I think when I saw it, I'm like, that's so good, so good. Thank you. I it made me feel like I could ice pick a wedge. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Uh, on that note, I feel like we've talked about every aspect of you. Is there any aspects of your life that we haven't talked about? Feral cats. How many are you feeding? <laughs> Yeah, uh, Brad well, asked. Feral cats. We actually have a lot of cats, so uh, we have a colony of sixteen. So we have three indoor, and we have thirteen that live in our yard. So, gotcha. Um, one just showed up, so we might have seventeen. Um, he's an unfixed male. But we fix uh, my wife and I. It's much more so my wife. But we have fixed on our own dime, 50 cats in our neighborhood. 
So we've trapped them, we've spayed and neutered them, and then or spayed or neutered them, and then uh, released them back into the neighborhood because that's what we have to do. Yeah. So just trying to like depopulate. We're trying to fix all the cats so eventually there will be no more cats. Uh, all the right. cats, they're not good for the ecosystem. I mean, they are, you know, carnivores and they're they attack everything and kill everything. I mean, you know, we're finding birds in our yard. I found a rat the other day. Luigi, one of our uh, cats, was literally flipping this dead rat into a fence. <laughs> so. Brutal. Yeah, they're terrible creatures, but we love them. So yeah, that's where we're at with with cats. So interesting. Yeah, that, that's not necessarily something that is a problem where I live at because I'm out in the country. So like right. these cats are just living in the wild, eating mice in fields, and you see them. I don't know. Somebody, Brett, was the one who brought that up, and so I was like, I should probably ask about that. About cats. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> too funny so this might not have much to do with you or our conversation oh i guess i didn't let you answer was there anything about you that we didn't talk about i think uh, that would be interesting we actually covered quite a bit outside of bmx too so appreciate you bringing up some of that absolutely um, man but yeah we covered quite a bit so i appreciate your time thanks a ton yeah I just I wanted to read this because this is relatable to anyone and and it's called so you want to be a writer. Charles yep. Bukowski wrote this. I don't know when he wrote it, but he died in 1994. And and when I heard this, I was just like, dude, this is BMX. This is what every single kid who is riding just because they want to be sponsored needs to hear and i was like i'm gonna read this and it's gonna yeah so it's uh if it doesn't come bursting out of you in spite of everything don't do it unless it comes unmasked out of your heart and your mind and your mouth and your gut don't do it if you have to sit for hours staring at your computer screen or hunched over your typewriter searching for words don't do it if you're doing it for money or fame, don't do it. If you're doing it because you want women in your bed, don't do it. If you have to sit there and rewrite it again and again, don't do it. If it's hard work just thinking about doing it, don't do it. If you're trying to write like somebody else, forget about it. If you have to wait for it to roar out of you, then wait patiently. If it never does roar out of you, do something else. If you first have to read it to your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your parents or to anybody at all, you're not ready. Don't be like so many writers. Don't be like so many thousands of people who call themselves writers. Don't be dull don't, and boring and pretentious. Don't be consumed with self-love. The libraries of the world have yawned themselves to sleep over your kind. Don't add to that. Don't do it. Unless it comes out of your soul like a rocket, unless being still would drive you to madness or suicide or murder, don't do it. Unless the sun inside you is bursting your gut, don't do it. When it is truly time, and if you have been chosen, it will do it by itself, and it will keep on doing it until you die or it dies in you. There is no other way, and there never was. Wow. And I tell you, I have never been a fan of Charles Bukowski, but you might have just made me a fan by that quote. I heard that. It was just, 
<laughs> I had chills reading that because it's so good. There's nothing more relatable than so many of the things that were said in that. Wow. Yeah. Where, did you you said you had heard that from someone? Yeah, I'll be totally honest. I was listening to Lex Friedman on Joe Rogan's podcast, and that's how they ended it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, and it was just like, dang. So much of that makes so much sense. For sure. Yeah. So on that note, Matt, I know you got to wake up at 4.30 so you can do your reading at 5. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to keep you too long here. Really appreciate it, bud. And for real, like looking forward to our next session. I will really enjoy riding. Are you coming to Swamp Fest? I will be at Swamp Fest. I'm doubling it as a work trip tentatively so far. So I'll be stopping in Georgia on the way and then filming in Gainesville at a farm on Thursday. Really? Have work? I never told you about my work? No. <laughs> okay. So I work for a company that makes a small farm tractor that does like mechanical cultivation so it's like they make the implements that kill the weeds around a uh, crop so that they don't have to use chemicals or other types of things really yeah so they make the implements and the tractor and i do all of the editing for videos so most of the filming and i run the youtube channel i do that part-time did not know that That's yeah interesting. yeah and this this family that i work for is just incredible like they've they're so successful that they started a company called steiner in like the 90s or 80s or something and made this totally new design for a mowing like commercial tractor that people use to mow for their businesses at home whatever they sold that non-compete ended after 10 years made a better version of it and then they called that company Ventrack, so some people might have heard of it before. And then three years ago, they sold Ventrack to Toro, the company that makes like the zero turns and stuff you probably have heard of. And Toro didn't want the farm tractor side of things. So I was editing videos as like an intern just because I needed part-time money. Yep. And they basically were like, we want you to be the media guy at this at Tillmore when we move separately and uh, if you can't or you don't want to then I guess you have to find a new job so I did it and now yeah I've been doing that with them for years and they're just they're wow. amazing could you send me a link to like that product I'd like to check it out Sounds yeah. really, that's really cool so we're out in Gainesville not to hold you up where are you doing where's the farm in Gainesville oh man I'm not Totally sure right off the top of my head. What? Um, Possum Creek's there. Really good park. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure what our plans are aside from that. I'm thinking we're going, I'm going to film there Thursday and then Swamp Fest, obviously, Friday and Saturday. And then we may take the whole day Sunday just to casually drive home. Okay. Well, if you could fit in a day, you know, I'd love to have a, a session with you one of the backyard ramps. But if you got it at home, it's understandable. We'll do it again some other time. Well, that's the thing is like it's February, so I was thinking I might want to come down to Florida when we go to the Gulf side and it's warm enough to really get in the lake, uh, the lake, in the lake. <laughs> but yeah, well, looking forward to seeing you in a couple weeks then. I'll keep in touch, you know. 
All right, man. Have a good night, and thank you. If people want to find you online, where can they? It's just Instagram, at Matt underscore Copeland. There it is. Thank you again. This was super fun. I enjoyed learning more about you. Thanks, Brent. I appreciate you, bud. Thanks for your time. We'll uh, we'll be in touch, and I will see you soon. All right. Thanks, everyone, and have a good day.